Hello and welcome to the Wild Spirit Podcast. I am your host, Nicole Telkish, here to guide you through the world of plant medicine and plant people with experiences and inspiration to bring you closer to your own inner wild. Today's episode, Herbalism, Not Herbs, will look at a holistic view on respiratory health, the COVID-19 pandemic, and aromatic steams with my guest, Jim McDonald. Jim is a practicing herbalist from Michigan whose herbalism is influenced by early 19th century eclectic and physiomedicalist vitalism. He's a community herbalist, a wild crafter, and a medicine maker. He has a website, herbcraft.padia.com, where he offers online and in-person experiences with plants. He is also one of the most clever and funniest teachers I can think of. Uh, we recorded this segment right after the COVID-19 pandemic began, and I think you'll see that a lot of it is just as pertinent and important as it was back in March. Welcome everyone. My guest today is Jim McDonald. Thank you, Jim, for being here with us. So excited to have you as a guest. And I just wanted to have you share with our listeners something from your perspective about the COVID-19 pandemic. As of the current state of affairs, do you have anything to say about your approach to this or thoughts on it or how you are dealing with this as an herbalist? I and many herbalists, you know, um, to a large degree, people that have been doing this work, it's not that we're not looking at this as a new thing or not taking it seriously, but I think the people that have been working with herbs and with people for a long time are thinking like, okay, there is a whole bunch of new stuff that I need to learn about this particular virus, but there's also a ton of stuff that, you know, that we know that we've been doing for, for years or decades or decades and decades, depending on how long you've been in this, that, that aren't going to radically change because the particular pathogen is new. You know, there's a, a whole bunch of things that carry over and what carries over is that, well, the pathogen itself, this virus, you know, is, is new in humans the responses that humans have to viruses are not new and the the foundation or the root or the core of any kind of solid protocol is really going to be based on how do we work with the people you know what how do we work with the people where they're at in the stage of an illness or how they're individually responding to an illness and what are the things that we do that make sense to support them through that process in whatever way it's manifesting for them Right. Yeah. And I, I guess one of the things that I've told you, I think right before we started recording was that I've been a little bit uh, wary of trying to put too much out there to the general public about what to take when. Um, and I think that 
I've noticed other herbalists say the same thing because right now it, it feels to me more than ever that going to an herbalist is really the way to go and that we are there for to guide people through this and as best we can, right? And and so I, I think that's a good point that we have solid foundations with which we've been working with in this context of, of immunity and health. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know how many years ago it was, it was because it was quite a few, maybe 20, um, that I remember talking to David Winston, and he said something to the effect, and this is a paraphrase and not a quote, like, herbs have become really popular, but herbalism has not become as popular. And so a lot of people will think like, you know, oh, I want to holistically treat something. And for a lot of the the general public, that just means like, oh, you're using natural stuff instead of using not natural stuff. Mm -hmm. And for the people that work with herbs, we know that you can absolutely use herbs in a suppressive way or in a like a palliative way and not that palliative is always you know such a bad thing it'd be really nice to have maybe discomfort palliated but if you're just using you know this for that and if it's like you know whether whether it's elderberry or whether it's fire cider or whether it's turmeric or you know i hear people a lot of people are looking at like oh in china they were using this formula and mm -hmm. I think that's great, but as soon as you think this formula or this herb or this product, you're taking things out of context because the people, let's say in China, who were giving that formula were giving it to specific people with specific presentations and not just like, oh, this is the thing that we're doing now. Let's just give it to everyone. You know, like the whole basis of, of holistic medicine is like looking at the person and looking at the differences that they have and not treat like you know, everyone says like, oh, holistic medicine is about treating the person and not the disease. And then you ask them like, oh, what would you do for flu? And they say, I would do this. And oh, what would you do for, you know, arthritis and say, I, I would do this. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we, you know, we, we start to see this idea that maybe we say one thing and we can often fall into like doing the opposite of what we actually think we're doing. And what I've tried to do is to, you know, when people ask me questions and it's maybe not popular because it's not a short and easy answer is to be like, I don't know, you know, and even if someone asked me like the most seemingly simple question, like I have a cough, what should I take? I have no idea what you should take for your cough. Like what kind of cough do you have? Because we're different and something that's, you know, really appropriate for one person might not be really appropriate for another. And we know that about like, food and we know that about different you know lifestyle things that different things work better for different people but somehow when we think about herbs we we're we keep falling if there's you know a magic herb or a magic formula that takes care of this one thing and the goal i think when addressing more complex questions like oh, let's say you know maybe a global pandemic is that there really isn't a short answer like it's not a popular answer you know it's people will will tell you that you know long sprawling facebook posts you know are really long articles that people don't have the attention span anymore but that kind of doesn't change the fact that you, there's a lot of qualifiers you know and we need to think about those qualifiers because that's what makes suggestions work for individual people 
rather than like there's a concept and we're going to apply it broadly, like a shotgun formula. Absolutely. I always like to kind of distinguish the difference between a first aid approach and something that is more chronic. But even in the case of first aid, there's ways to amend formulas for certain people just based on their their individual issues or constitution to make it more effective. And that's why you would go to a practitioner, say, and not just somebody who looked up a recipe somewhere. Not that it's bad to be using herbs, but in this consider, you know, in this case, at least, I feel like we really need to look for people who have been working with herbs for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, something that, that I think we both really liked Elizabeth Brooks' traditional Western herbalism book. It's maybe my favorite new, new book that, <laughs> that I've gotten a hold of. Yeah, I really want to get her on the on the podcast to interview her because she's such a great writer and um, wonderful herbalist, it seems. So I can't wait to speak with her. But one of the things she quoted that I saw you quote as well that I thought was poignant when you mentioned this was the virtues of an herb are its strengths and qualities, its inner potency, expressions of its vital spirit and of the way it is in the world. The way an herb is in the world will show you the way it works in your body. We prefer this term to the more modern term uses. Herbs do not have uses. They themselves have their own purposes. And this was Christopher Headley, uh, a quote from him that she had had in a private conversation. So I think it's something that you made me think of when you were talking about that. You know, as far as I know, and, you know, I don't want to paint with, like, such a broad brush, but every person that I have ever talked to who met Christopher Headley was blown away by him. Mm -hmm. And I had the, you know, the pleasure to, to meet him um, at the International Herb Symposium for one of their conferences and to, like, stay in touch with him. And he's, like, the person who really turned me on to humoral temperaments, which have become something I feel really passionate about and I feel like is a great model for understanding individuals and maybe their predispositions to certain types of illnesses or imbalances, but also, and importantly, like just the way that they interact with the world, you know? So like the way that people interact with the world also predisposes them to certain types of condition, you know? So when we think about like uh, the, the type A personality workaholic, you know, like when they get stressed out, they just want to fight against it and beat it which maybe sometimes they can't, and it wears them out and burns them out, you know, and how they might respond to that versus more of like a empathic kind of phlegmatic temperament, you know, who interacts with the world through feeling. And uh, just to exist in this world, they have to like really push themselves and stretch themselves to keep up with the pace of it and to maybe have the way that they are feel valued. Mm -hmm. So that's become something that's been really important to me. And like, looking at how those inclinations, not just the hot, cold, damp, dry constitutional factors, but just the way that they interact with the world will affect them. And so maybe if I think about that in terms of, say, like a viral pandemic, is that, you know, like the, the type A people are going to be, the choleric people are going to more be like, you know, okay, we're going to come up with a plan, we're going to have these, you know, rules, and, you know, like we're going to beat this thing. And someone who's more phlegmatic is probably going to be like really feeling just the 
that the general anxiety um, that exists in the world, maybe feeling a little bit more emotional overwhelm, and maybe wanting to like, you know, like withdraw and have like space, safe space for themselves, rather than to be like, okay, this is what we're gonna do to get through this thing, you know. Um, so, and then of course our melancholics are our deep thinkers and uh, are deeply like rational and perceptive people that's you know are figuring out all the stuff and collecting and cohesing all the data and are, are sanguine people or maybe like me a little bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of the other um but yeah christopher headley's idea of you know viewing plants as having virtues versus uses you know i think maybe it was robin rose bennett who did this little video um where you know there was like someone who walked up to a plant and was like you know oh i wonder what this plant is good for and then kind of went into like oh we don't think you know we shouldn't think about people like that you know i shouldn't think like wow what is nicole good for how can i use nicole (laughs) is is nicole good for anything is she good for anything can i can i use her in some way that makes my life better but we do have that attitude towards plants you know and i think that the the more that we can think about plants as being their, well, being their own beings, you know, and having their own inherent value and not just being here for us to quote unquote use, the more we can also maybe um, really like it, it'll, it'll key in the importance of being good stewards for them, you know, that we're going to, we're in a reciprocal relationship with them. So I feel like one of the things that, is really common in herbalists who know their plants and have their dirt time and wildcraft and, and steward their populations is they, they, they end up feeling a sense of responsibility and uh, a deep, not just desire, but like calling to caretake for these plants, to think about, you know, their habitats and to speak up for them. And when we're thinking about a situation where certain plants are like oh that's the plant you should use that's the plant um i think we have to maintain that because even in a situation where we have say like a pandemic and we're like oh what can we use if if the plant we choose to use can't be sustainably you know collected if it's not maybe something that will tolerate you know mass consumption if it's not being cultivated that you know that should be something we should think about, not just like, oh, but that's what we need to use for us. Right. I agree. I was actually thinking when I'm putting together, you know, a public resource for the general public to use um, as far as at a community level and a personal level. And one of the things that came up for me was onion and that Ah, onion was easy to get and that right now at least <laughs> uh, oh, right yeah until after this podcast <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh oh gosh um so i mean it, i don't know if you have any personal items that you feel like would be a something that could tolerate more mass consumption if we were to be treating or mitigating symptoms around Mm -hmm. this virus, but. Well, 
So just in the past, I guess, week, you know, I've started to get calls from people who, um, in some cases, like, almost certainly have this. And right now, at the time we're talking, testing is incredibly shoddy. There was someone I know um, who went in, her fever wasn't at the, the number that it should be to allow it to be tested. So that's problematic because I also saw from a, a local um, health association, some medical um, practice, that a lot of people were presenting with, with lower fevers, with 99 degree fevers. And the cutoff to get the test that this person went to was 100.5, right? Mm-hmm. So, a pro- you know, the, the problem is definitely going to be more widespread than the numbers are going to tell us. And so fixating on the numbers and being like, oh my gosh, there's this many cases, there's this many cases, like let's just assume that there's a lot more. Um, but one person I talked to um, just this week, their daughter has been tested and was positive. And so I feel like, you know, that, that contact makes the likelihood of this person who is having symptoms also to be highly likely. And the thing was, is, you know, everyone, not everyone, but most people are going to be on some form of social media and we're all seeing about like, Oh, there's this herb that they're using or there's that herb. But when I talked to this person, they didn't have those herbs, you know, and, the ability, I mean, right now we can still mail stuff, right? That mm-hmm. seems, seems helpful for right now, but it's going to take a couple days or longer to get there, depending on who you're getting what from. And what I did is say, like, what like what I want to know is what do you have there? Like, what, what kind of herbs do you have there? What kind of teas do you have there? What kind of vegetables and spices do you have there? What's growing outside, you know? So, like, we might say, for example, like, you know, someone, they don't have, like, OSHA. OSHA, this antiviral aromatic expectorant, but they have onions. Mm-hmm. And onions and OSHA are not the same thing, but I feel like they do fall into the same niche. And a lot of what OSHA does overlaps with a lot of what onions do. They're different, but they, they can they can be swapped out. They can fulfill the same purpose if you have you know, damn congestion with tension. It's going to be something that's helpful. Um, or someone might say like, oh, I have, yeah, I have sage at home. And I say, how much sage do you have? And they're like about half of a spice bottle, you know. And one of the things I love sage for is doing steam inhalations. But half of a spice bottle is not really enough to do, you know, more than a steam inhalation. Well, I say like, do you have any, do you have any pine trees? or conifers in your backyard, because those plants are aromatic, right? And um, if you can go out and collect those, you can make an aromatic steam. So really, I think, like, having people assess, like, what do they have, what's there? And then an herbalist who knows their plants, and they, they understand not just about the plants, but also the actions and the herbalism that underlies the use of these plants, will be able to look at someone has access to and then make suggestions that they can follow through Versus like, oh, you know, I know you're sick and feeling really lousy, but you're going to need to go online and trying to find a place that has these herbs that are sold out in so many places. Like that just doesn't seem like um, an accessible way to, to practice to me, you know, mm-hmm. rather than like using your understanding of herbs and applying that craft to work with what's available. Right. Yeah, I think that's a really good point is 
And one reason why there's such a surge in bioregional herbalism uh, is, is so that people can connect to their own spaces just in case or because they feel more connected to their, their medicines of their space. And in this way, whether it's food or herbs or whatever substances you're using, being more bioregional just makes more and more sense in thinking about what's in your actual spice cabinet, what's in your home, how are you going to get to it. That's the kind of plans that I think one of the things is somebody told me is I was talking to Paul Bergner and he's saying make a plan, a medical plan. What happens if someone in your house gets sick? Where are they going to go? What's the closest hospital? But I think also making a plan in your home, like what herbs do I have? What grows around me? That sort of thing is also viable. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've done here is like, um, and I feel pretty on the ball because I'm, I'm a sanguine, which means I'm a bit of a scatterbrain, is, uh, and this is large, I should just attribute this to my wife, Stephanie, who, who you know, was like, we should do this. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea, is I have a lot of herbs here. So unlike a lot of people, I have a ton of herbs here, but I often, because I'm so used to mixing up everything custom according to exactly the specifics of, you know, what somebody needs, they're often not mixed yet. And what we did is we just made like a general tea for sick with a fever. And to that tea, I think it's like elderflower and orange mint, a little bit of blackberry leaves, mostly for flavor, rose hips, some lemon balm. And then that would be like a good, pretty all-purpose tea blend and if I needed to make it more warming or more stimulating, you could throw in a bunch of ginger. So there's a big jar full of that, like a gallon jar full of that tea, and then a bag full of dry ginger that we could tweak the way that it would work. And it's there so that if I'm the first one to get sick, and one of the things that I think we all know happens when you get sick is your, your critical thinking goes right. tubes, right? Um, you know, if I'm the first one to get sick, there's stuff that's ready. I've also got like... Um, all the ingredients for uh, an electrolyte mix, you know, so you get some baking soda, you get some, some sugar or some honey, you get some uh, salt and uh, maybe some lemon juice. And then you have the recipe. Uh, I think our ROM has one. I think it's like a quarter water, a half teaspoon of salt and baking soda, two or three or four tablespoons of honey or sugar or maple syrup and then maybe like a tablespoon-ish of lemon juice and you mix it all together and there's your electrolyte thing. Cause you know, again, we want to think about like these kind of core issues like, oh, you know, we don't know everything about the coronavirus, but we know that if people get fevers, they can get dehydrated. And if you get dehydrated, whatever's infecting you, it's harder for your body to fight that. So um, having something to address dehydration in, in addition to drinking teas is your way of addressing a fever that provides water um, gives you a solid place for your body not to be it's sort of like needing to fight an infection in a state of distress and need. Right. Now that's a great, great idea. And I think that one of the things that comes to mind when we're talking is just again about how important, uh, how lucky I feel, first of all, that I have such a great community of support and one of the things I love about the herb community is that they're very giving people are very knowledgeable there's a lot of people who work together so 
right now it's really great seeing everyone starting to come together and work together to try to give people a lot of health, like their optimal level of health and wellness. And if something goes wrong, be prepared. Um, but I also think you were, you know, we brought up a good point earlier when we were discussing things privately that, you know, I think people need to also consider supporting their local herbalists while we do this work, right? So yeah, what are you um, doing? What are you doing so that I'll we could support? Plug. I'll put a plug out. This is, a, this is gonna, I'm going to admit, this is freely and totally and absolutely <laughs> a plug for myself. Um, <laughs> yes, do it. But it's a plug for all the other herbalists. Um, if you're new to this or if you're just getting into this, the idea of herbalism as a lucrative and stable career <laughs> is it, it can happen. It is a possibility, but it's not the reality for most people. Most of us do this because it's a calling. Like we're just drawn into it. Like I, I still tell people that, you know, they're like, how did you get into herbalism? And like, um, I drank some tea and the plants decided that, that they could use me for stuff, right? <laughs> Rather than right. me using the plants, maybe they're using me. They're like, ooh, this one, like, this one can do good for us. And I, I, I do this because, you know, not because it's practical, um, but because I feel so called and I love it and it, it, it fills my soul, you know? Uh, and that's not an overstatement. It literally, like, this feels like just like such a privilege to be able to do but you know i i make my living by teaching classes and although i've just recently got on to doing some online things maybe really within like since january i i rely on groups of people to come out to classes and um since it started let's see i i didn't get to teach a class uh, like last saturday um i'm not able to teach a class tomorrow just the Saturday after that, um, I had a weekend plan with a guest teacher who now is unable to get into the country to teach the class. I had to cancel that. And I keep thinking to myself, and I have a course, you know, that I rely on for the brunt of my income that's starting that has people coming because, you know, half of it is outside. And, you know, there's, there's that kind of like hanging as an up in the air. How is this going to work? And it's really tough. You know, that's, that's, how the, the way that I'm able to learn stuff and share my knowledge and teach in my community is because, you know, I've worked out this way where, you know, somehow I've, I've figured out how to do this and make it work. And now um, with, with this virus that you can't even see, you know, all of that has come up in the air. And there's like the reality of like, oh my gosh, how do we, how do we pay our bills, our mortgage, our electric bill or this and that maybe maybe the politicians will do something that helps out people but um <laughs> the, the, when they when 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 politicians of, of whatever party talk about like small business they i always feel like they're never talking about me you know <laughs> they're talking about like small businesses with hundreds of employees or like at least dozens of employees rather than like you know one or two people working or you know even like 10 people working and doing all of this stuff themselves so um, whatever anyone who is able to, who has the means, and I think that I and you and, and all the other people know that there are other people, say, like, maybe if they're, you know, what, weight people, or they, you know, work in, uh, as body workers, they're also, like, 
in, in dire straits, but for people who have resources and you're thinking about like, oh my gosh, what, what can I do? You know, one of the things you can do is think about the herbalists that, you know, that you resonate with that are, you know, either making herbs or um, preparations or growing herbs or teaching or, you know, um, collecting information and making it something that's accessible to you, you know, um, and, and thinking like, is there something that they're doing that I can support? So if you can do that, if you have the ability to do that, I feel like that's so important, right? Because, um, when, when, when I'm started working with people, I'm not saying like, okay, I will tell you how to deal with your, you know, scary viral infection. Like after you press, you know, pay now on PayPal. Um, I'm like, what, what can I do to help you? And that's what comes first. Mm-hmm. And I think that many of us think and behave like that. Um, and so, you know, for the, and this sounds so stereotypical, but the whole like complete the circle, right? Everything needs to have like this um, reciprocity, you know, of giving going in all directions um, and support going in all directions. So, you know, if, if we get supported, it increases our ability to support other people. And then my plug here is I do have some online courses and it's a herbcraft, H-E-R-B-C-R-A-F-T dot podia, which is P-O-D-I-A dot com. And I just released, actually, you know, fortuitously, actually not fortuitously, I do this class every year in the winter time and it covers, um, immune and respiratory issues and so like really getting into sort of like the nitty-gritty of working with fevers not just saying oh let fevers do their thing because fevers can go awry um but how to work with them um how to sort of like strengthen and support our sort of like core and innate immune functions how to stimulate um, and bolster immune defenses and then dealing with upper and lower respiratory issues and all of this within and idea which i think is really relevant in the case of this virus which is like there's not herbs for coughs there's not herbs for upper respiratory congestions and upper respiratory infections there's not herbs for fevers there are but to figure out what a person needs you need to think about how that person is presenting different people are different they're going to present differently some people get higher fevers some people get lower fevers you know you might think like oh you know Ginger is really good for fevers. It's a diaphoretic. But if you look at a person and they're all red and flushed, they don't need a peripheral circulation stimulant. You know, they maybe need something to relax um, the vasculature and open up the pores and let that heat out rather than sort of like send more heat out to where it already is at and stuck. Um, If someone has an upper respiratory issue, if it's like leakier, we want to use things that will sort of like tighten and tone those tissues and lessen secretions and if it's stuffier we want to use stuff that will increase those secretions so that they get moving we don't want to increase movement where there's already too much movement and we don't want to you know stop movement where movement is already stuck and if someone has a cough and it's drier we don't want to give them respiratory herbs that are super drying you know like if you're eating a bunch of raw garlic and your lungs are your lung tissue is really dry Yes, the raw garlic is going to be fighting different kinds of infections. You know, we, we know that the allicin does that. We don't know, I think, yet how it works on COVID. 
we know that it helps to fight infections, but it's also drying for the tissues. And so if you're doing that in mass, you might be like helping fight the infection, but irritating the tissues while you're doing it. And an herbalist working with reference to the person that they're working with would be able to say like, oh, you know, maybe there's a different herb besides garlic that I can use, or like, oh, this garlic seems really drying. Maybe I can add demulcents or like give the garlic and honey to offset that effect. And, and this is why the herbalism is, you know, it should be considered at the same level that the herbs are considered. Uh, and why we want to support herbalists who know to think like this and not just be like, what's what's the coronavirus formula? Right. And I think that's a what it makes me really try to drive home to listeners possibly is that instead of listening to these episodes with all these great herbalists, including yourself, that are, you know, giving giving people ideas, instead of running out to maybe Amazon, because that's all you can do right now and buying whatever herbs we talked about, it'd be great to look at what resources are already out there where, you know, people, there's a lot of people right now. One of the things that I knew from doing disaster aid is don't ever worry about purchasing herbs because the herbs are out there. We have an abundance of herbs and an abundance of herbalists. We're just waiting for people to, well, not waiting, but we're actively trying to get people engaged with us and our herbs. So, so yeah, so that, that just made me think that again, the message to drive home to folks is to find us and talk to us and and tell us what you need, and then we can guide you through our courses, through our um, through doing online consults, things like that, um, to help people through this time. Yeah, and I think you know, as people are like thinking, like, oh, how do I find a good herbalist, right? Because um, I feel like, and and this is different for different people, but I feel like I want herbalist to be a very common term. Like, if you if you gather herbs or make stuff with herbs or use herbs for your family or just your kids or just your partner or just a few friends or just your community all those people you have an office and you see people all over all those people are herbalists you know some might be family herbalists or you know community herbalists or clinical herbalists but they're all herbalists um but there there are also like better herbalists and worse herbalists and one of the things that you can do is that if you see someone you know, who is an herbalist or who is, you know, a holistic practitioner, if they have the same suggestions for everyone, if they're like, everyone should just take this, um, and this doesn't apply to nutrition, this doesn't apply to something like, you know, magnesium. Most people need magnesium, right? But if it comes to herbs and like, everyone should just take this and everyone should just take this, we might want to ask more questions. And, you know, I think that herbalists should be able to explain their reasoning, you know? So it's like, oh, well, you know, who, like, who is this best for? Who would this maybe not be so good for? Those are questions to ask because, you know, for, like I said, ginger would be a great herb to treat fevers. Or, you know, obviously you have a ton of experience with fire cider. <laughs> I know people, and one of my clients with the, the coronavirus one of the things that they used was fire cider. And I think it was a great idea. They had like chills and coldness and, you know, fire cider was perfectly indicated for that. But again, if someone was really hot and flushed and burning up, you know, um, 
and that all that heat was like way out on the surface, fire cider is not the direction that I would go with it. And it's not because it's bad. It's just, it's not indicated for that person. It's kind of like, you know, if someone is like super anxious and has insomnia, you know, an espresso at, at nine at night probably isn't the greatest thing for them. <laughs> Right. So is there anything else is in terms of the, you know, the current pandemic that you would give as just like some closing wise words, just or any kind of thoughts that you have to kind of leave people with as far as how to move forward right now? With, with a strong desire to self-contradict myself, um, one of the things that I think is, is actually and I can explain this, so, so hear me out, is um, really appropriate to most people would be steam inhalations. And there's a reason for this. So um, generally, you could do steam inhalations without any kind of plants. You could just use boiling water. You could get into the bathroom and close the doors and turn the shower on really hot. And that, that moisture is going to help decongest, um, help with expectoration, and um, also like loosen um, dried out mucus in the lungs, um, just simply because of the water vapor that's there. But if you can take a handful of some aromatic herb, some aromatic herb, how do you know if it's aromatic, you crush it up and it has like a strong smell to it, you know? Um, so it could be sage, thyme is wonderful, conifers are wonderful, it could be eucalyptus if you have that, it could be, you know, any of a hundred, gazillion different kinds of mints and that includes like your chocolate mint or your apple mint it could be like anise hyssop you have growing in your garden it could be goldenrod growing in the field it could be you know like um pine boughs or spruce boughs or fir boughs um anything that could be ginger anything that's aromatic you throw a handful of that in some water and bring it to a boil and inhale those vapors um aromatic herbs are decongesting you know, uh, when we think about decongestants, they're, they're pretty much all aromatic herbs. And those volatile oils, they're all some degree of antimicrobial and some degree of anti-inflammatory. And, and we don't know whether they're active against the coronavirus. Um, but I was thinking, and this is totally speculative, I'm a big fan of speculative herbalism as long as you say that's what you're doing. Um, what I started doing is if I go out, and I'm not going out much, but you know, eventually we're gonna have to go like get more coffee or something. <laughs> um, get more ciders actually um, eventually I'm going to go out and if I'm going to go out and I'm going to be putting myself in an area of exposure one of the things that I can do when I get back in is not just like wash my hands and you know strip off the clothes that I was wearing um, but actually to do steam inhalation so that if something did get um, inhaled or I did you know wipe my nose or something and not notice it or rub my eyes I can sit under a towel with a pot of steaming tea with these antimicrobial oils and hopefully, you know, like the heat of that steam and the volatile oils and the moisture of that steam will all have this like balancing and um, antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory effect on the tissues that we know are first affected by this virus. So does that mean you won't get it? No, it doesn't. But it still seems to me like a reasonable and sound idea and something that's easy for people to do. You know, it doesn't require specialized equipment. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. And most and people already have a stove. Yeah, most people. <laughs> and a phone. They always have a phone. 
Um, <laughs> so one of the things I think you're going to like is great minds think alike, I like to say. Uh, but we part of our public document for the general lay public on this is going to have a recipe for steam inhalations and vinegar of the four thieves and um, and then an onion poultice to help just people learn how to care for themselves because you know goddess forbid people are left on their own um, we need to have some simple suggestions and solutions for things like respiratory care so yeah and I think also you know like at the same time that I'm saying like you can't just know use this herb for this thing you need to know more about it mm -hmm. it really doesn't need to be super complicated you know, um, there are brilliant herbalists who know um, brilliant stuff that completely confuses me. You know, I can listen to um, Thomas Easley's a really good friend of mine. And he's recently written a, a really wonderful article um, on his thoughts on the, the, the coronavirus, and he's going to be updating it. Um, but I hang out with him. I was with him actually just a week ago. I hang out with him and I'm like, he knows so much stuff. And I, I like, I can't even really easily follow what he's talking about. Um, <laughs> and that can seem intimidating, but I mean, he'll, he'll say similar things about me. Right. So like the information, it doesn't have to be like filled with acronyms. It doesn't have to be like, Oh my gosh, I really need to study this. If you think about the traditions that our herbalism comes from, they didn't know the physiology. They didn't know about like, you know, serotonin or dopamine. They, in fact, they most commonly got all of their physiology entirely wrong. Um, but what they were good at was recognizing patterns. Like, oh, I see this pattern in, and I can see how this pattern of the way that a plant works or the qualities that it has will create a balance there. Like, oh, this plant has this moistening energy uh, or quality and this condition is dry. And so it brings it back to a state of balance. And those are things that um, you could explain by talking about, you know, mucopolysaccharides or gags, um, or you can just say it's slimy. And mm -hmm. it kind of means the same thing, right? You could get into um, looking at how many, you know, um, saccharide binds there are in, in various mucilages, or you could just like be like, oh, this one's slimy or that one's less slimy and make use of it like that. But I think that herbalism, one of the things that really makes it like the people's medicine is that your body gets it. You know, um, I think anyone who's ever had a burn and put aloe on it, you feel like this, oh, this soothing effect. And not all the time, but also not infrequently, when you when you come up with a formula that is good for you, you will get that ah feeling. Some of them you'll also get a ooh feeling because it doesn't taste that great, but um, but this this sense of like oh I can feel that this is a good fit. Yeah, I think that's I think that things can be very simple and very effective. And I always think about when I watch the video, which you can look at while you're sitting at home and trying to figure out how to entertain yourself you can watch uh juliet of the herbs and she does some, some she's really inspiring as to how simple and how effective you know very common plants can be that are growing around you and she did pretty amazing things with with very simple things so yeah i think um one of the things that i've always remembered was um 
Howie Brownstein, who we both know, uh, was said to me one time, he's like, you know, when I think about the herbs that have done like the most amazing things, most of the time they're not like the strong, forceful herbs. Most of the time it's stuff like marshmallow, right? Mm -hmm. It's these like simples, these um, quote unquote, like beginners, you know, herbs that people, everyone learns right away. And I think too frequently it's like people will be like, oh, I learned about that herb. I know that herb. And if we can keep our, our minds open and think like, um, oh, I, I know that herb. I, I want to keep learning about that herb. We can keep learning and learning and learning and learning and learning and learning and find out that these, you know, herbs that, that are in all the books that everyone thinks like, oh, yeah, I know what that one's for. They have so much nuance. There's a reason that they're in all the books. There's a reason why people say like, oh, these um, quote unquote like simple um, herbs and which are also often very common weedy plants. You know, I've always thought, why are plants weedy? And I, I wonder if it's like, you know, they, they want to grow around us so that they can be used all the time for all the stuff. Like their habitat is like where people are, you know? So I think about like plantain, you know? Plantain to me is going to be something that's huge in dealing with this because it has like all of these qualities and it's, it's not forceful in a way that's going to make it aggravating to some people and one of the things that i worry about when i see people are like looking for like strong herbs like ooh, this virus is really bad i want to use strong herbs to fight it mm-hmm. is this idea that you know they they put this idea that like there are stronger herbs and then there are gentler herbs and when you when you think of some herbs as gentle and you think of some herbs as strong it's really easy to then think about the gentle herbs as somehow being weaker than the stronger herbs mm-hmm. and really Maybe we should think more about gentle herbs and forceful herbs. And neither one of them is stronger, but gentle herbs are far less likely to cause aggravations. Mm. And to me, when I'm working with plants, I always want to favor using the gentlest herbs I can. And then when I'm using a more forceful herb to think like, why am I using this? What am I using it for? And how do I blend it with more gentle stuff to offset maybe some of the aggravations that it might cause? That's great. I have a friend, uh, you probably may, you may know her, uh, Grizz, Greta de la Montaigne, and she has the MASH clinic and her, her herbal company is called Gentle Strength. I thought that was always a good one. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else we can do? Uh, like if our, you are seeing clients and you are sending out herbs right now, is that true? So I am, um, Let's see. I'm not really seeing them, right? Because we're not we're not on total lockdown yet. It's not like in some parts of the country, California just has like a um, you know shelter in place order, right? Mm-hmm. But largely, what I'm doing is talking with people on the phone. Um, okay. I know some people do Skype stuff. I find it hard to like stay still enough to like stay in one spot <laughs> and Skype with someone. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm. Uh, talking on the phone and messaging with people to keep in touch with them um, and have so far talked to the people that I've been working with like every day to find out what's going on and where they're at um, and to check in on them. Um, I've had sent some stuff out to people. I've had other people, um, you know, like I said, looking in their stashes, what did they have accessible to them uh, to use for that? If, if I don't um, 
you know, to send them something, if there's something that they have already that they can use that's going to fulfill the purpose of whatever I would do, I'll have them use that because I feel like then that gets them to learn how to make it. Um, but I think maybe like a, a take home point is that like keeping in touch with people and checking up on people, like checking in with people is, is going to be really important. Everyone is, not everyone, but a lot of people are like sticking close to home and not going out and having anxieties about going out and seeing other people and then also have anxieties about not getting out to see other people or maybe feeling a little bit stir crazy, right? And um, if we can check in with them, if we can actually utilize some of these tools um, to connect with each other and to have conversations and discourse with each other and, and maybe go back to what I really like doing, which is actually calling people up on the phone and having a a conversation with them, mm -hmm. you know, it will help each other all get out. Really, if this pandemic is doing one thing that is really important in this world, it's maybe like stressing the importance of connections between people. You know, we, we keep talking about people getting more disconnected with each other and, you know, it's all technology's fault. Well, maybe we can use technology to, you know, keep in touch we can use technology so that you know like our kids can you know play games with their friends and not have to be like oh my gosh these games are so bad and another thing that we can do that's not an opposite of that is we can also like to the degree that we're able to depending on where we live at get outside go and, and just be in a place because if you're inside and you're watching the news or listening to npr or you know like continually scanning social media it can be pretty overwhelming and pretty daunting yeah if you can get out into a place that the nature just is it's it's a really like it's a bomb for your nervous system if your nervous system is totally maxed out and stressed out that affects your immune system too so just as important as like you know getting good nutrition and being active and taking herbs and thinking about your diet. Um, we also need to think about like our mental state and, and what we can do. And I don't know of anything that is as essential to our mental and emotional and spiritual well-being as actually being out in nature, right? Mm -hmm. um, because we can see that it's doing its thing. The people stay in touch with the people you care about. Stay in touch with maybe the people that you, you know about that you don't think like, oh, they're my people. We, we have to take care of, like, everybody needs to take care of each other. And, you know, um, maybe this is one way that we can, can get away from the us versus them kind of mentality that is really easy to fall into. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jim. This was great. And... Uh, yeah, and it's much, always a pleasure to talk with you. Absolutely, and much uh, much love to you and your family. Staying well, and uh, to all our listeners, thank you for, hopefully we gave you some ideas to work with, and we're going to keep it going. Yeah, so I would say parting words, like <laughs> hang in there, um, you know, be gentle to yourself, try to get outside, and really, like, as you're trying to learn how to navigate this, if you're, if you're in a plant focused or plant obsessed, you know, look for those herbalists that are, that are taking the time to make things accessible. 
um, and, and, and Doable and, and doing a bunch of work. And if you're able to think of ways that you can help to support them in that so that they can continue to support um, everyone with uh, the knowledge that we have you know, spent so much time and energy trying to cultivate uh, in order to, you know, kind of fulfill our role in a situation like this. Definitely. Thank you again. Jim mentioned a recipe for making herbal steams in the podcast. And I wanted to expand on this just a little more because many trained herbalists will build formulas based on plant properties and their actions on in the body. And, you know, some of the actions that are important for herbal steams and why we would use them for lung health is that they are decongestant, they're stimulating, antimicrobial and this could be said that it's because of their aromatic properties so plant aromatics are comprised mostly of volatile oils and these volatile oils have a host of effects on the body and share some similarities there are also lots of differences many are irritating though Um, they're stimulating they're antimicrobial They'll be used internally and externally to disinfect. And it's important to note that using whole plants as agents are different than using just the volatile oils, say, in an essential oil extract. So using whole plants is going to mean that they're a little less potent, but and you would use more of them, but they're also not going to be as irritating and have as many side effects. So... In this way, herbalists have found that some herbalists (laughs) have found that aromatics and evergreens can be somewhat similar enough that you can use the whole plants uh, growing around you for similar types of results. And one of the reasons we use plants that are stimulating and irritating is that the irritant will act to push out the offending infection potentially as well as the essential oils so when you inhale these volatile oils they're going to go in and your body pushes them out potentially with the offending irritant that is causing you problems as well so it's a little bit of a trick you could say so there's many types growing around you you could use something like Uh, pine you could use that and this is one that Jim mentioned you could use juniper cedar rosemary spruce fir and different species are going to have different amounts and intensities and potencies but in general you I'm going to give you a basic idea of how to make this steam so that you can do this at home and follow it and see if it helps you Um, And the recipe is going to be in our online recipes for resistance library, which is on our learn.wildflowerherbschool.com website. And so it's free. You can just register for the recipes for resistance and you'll see there'll be a free download for this steam. Um, So here's the general idea. So you would take some fresh or dried evergreen needles from one of the following plants that I had mentioned, and you would heat up 
a big pot of water. And then you would add these needles to the hot water. And as the steam comes up out of the water, so do the volatile oils because they are volatile. They do not stay in one place easily, especially with heat. So you'll get better potency if the plants are dry. So you could dry out your plants and then put them in this pot and allow the steam to just kind of come out and penetrate through the house. This is a really great way to disinfect the house, disinfect your lungs, um, keep everything stimulated and moving, including say phlegm in the body. This is a warming, drying type of practice, but then the steam kind of balances it out so that it's not too drying because a lot of these plants, their aromatics are quite drying. So you can allow these aromatics to fill your home. You'll see that it gets, after you know eight to 12 hours, it starts to get less aromatic because they're going away. Be careful <laughs> because whenever you have a pot of water boiling away or some steaming away even, not boiling because you'd want to turn it down so it's just a steam. Um, but this is, you know, a lot of us herbalists will tell you we have gotten into trouble forgetting about these things. So don't forget about your pot on the stove. And you should remember it because it should be smelling up the house, just lovely smells. So um, this is can be done with many different types of aromatic plants, of smelly plants. But in particular for respiratory steams, we like to use these evergreens. Um, and don't forget plain old rosemary is so effective for this. Even eucalyptus is a nice one. So, you know, this is something that you can also do by um, putting these plants in your shower and just allowing the, the hot steam from the shower to help, help get the aromatics out. Um, I see this to be a little less effective, um, but also you could drink that tea that you've made with the plant aromatics. I warn you, after letting it sit for a while, it's not gonna be that tasty, but um, you can definitely do this and put your face right over that steamy cup of tea and let it open up your lungs, open up your sinuses and get things moving. Um, because plant aromatics are can be stimulating, I don't really recommend them with the first trimester or if you have um, other if you're pregnant and I also want you to just be careful in general because it's quite potent. These, these herbs can be quite potent, quite stimulating. So there may be a reason this isn't the best choice for you. So look into it and make sure it's a good choice. Um, and then, you know, this is something that you can uh, change out the plant material over time. Um, so you can just kind of add more and then take out the old stuff, add more, take out the old stuff and just keep it going for a few days, especially if somebody in the house is sick or if, like Jim had said, if you think you might have been exposed to something, this is a really good practice if you've had to go out amongst people who have, say, viruses and or bact bacterias floating around. I don't know. Whatever it is, um, this is going to be something that is a nice, safe yummy smelling disinfectant for the house. So hope that helps. And again, look at our recipes for resistance library on learn.wildflowerherbschool.com.
The Wild Spirit podcast is a project of myself, Nicole Telkish, and I am the director and founder of the Wildflower School of Botanical Medicine. You can support my work on Patreon under Wild Spirit, or you can check out other learning opportunities on our new online learning platform, learn.wildflowerherbschool.com.